And the angel showed me a river with water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of Main Street. On each side of the river grew the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything for the throne of God and of the Lamb. Whew, that excites me. No longer be a curse on anything. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there and His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face and His name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun. For the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. And the angel said to me, Everything you've heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God, who inspires his prophets, has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. Look, I'm coming soon. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. <laughs> Blessed are those who obey the words of a prophecy written in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, no, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God, just like you and your brothers, the prophets, as well as all who obey what is written in this book. Worship only God. And then he instructed me, do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. Let the one who's doing harm continue to do harm, and let the one who's vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously, and let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in the book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in the book. He who is faithful witness to all these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. Can you say amen to the reading of the word? <laughs> so, Father, we thank you. We completed this book. We did what you asked us to do at the beginning. We went through it. We did our best. We asked you, God, when our best wasn't good enough, that we would spit out the bone and the spirit would keep the rest. And I pray that all the rest now remain with us. And I pray that which was futile or vain would just fly away. But that which was certain will remain. And what remains, may it produce good fruit. 
and I agree with what was written and I put my faith with it and I agree that Jesus is coming soon. And like John, I too say amen, so be it, come quickly, Lord. And with that in mind, we pray for Israel today. Lord, we pray for your, your, your holy people in the middle of a battle today, in the middle of war and chaos. God, when we started this chapter and we started this journey of our life, it became very clear that there was a lot that we thought maybe was about us, but much of it has always been about your people. And yet you've kept them. You've kept them through wicked kings and plagues and disease. You've kept them when people tried to annihilate them off the planet. And you always showed yourself faithful. Even times when the devil would do what he could do, there would always be a moment where the devil's kids would say, enough's enough, we can't do that. That is God. And so God, I'm asking for the same thing that you did for Moses, that you do for our generation. That when he stood face to face with what the devil was doing in Pharaoh's court, and they kept matching him miracle for miracle, and yet God, as he kept serving you and he kept pressing into you, there came a point where the enemy's camp said, we cannot do that. It's out of our realm. And my prayer is that your kids would learn to live outside the devil's realm. That our faith would take us to a level he cannot go. That our faith would take us into a spiritual realm where the devil would say, I cannot go there. That is more power than I have and more authority than I have. And I pray that your church in my generation would rise up to that. I pray we would rise up to be the people of God. We would stop being ashamed. We would stop making excuses. We would stop trying to be more politically correct than gospel correct. And I pray, God, that you stir us now as we end this, conclude this chapter of our study, that you just seal it up, that we walk out of here bold. And if you really did all this for us, you died for us, you, you're in a heaven preparing a home for us, and you're going to come back and live with us, and we're going to reign with you and rule with you on this planet. I pray, God, that we stay bold. I pray we endure to the end. I pray we do not give up the fight. I pray we do not throw in the towel. I pray that sin will not get the best of us, but we will overcome. And you said if we overcome, the way we do it is we hear the Spirit. And I pray we would all hear the Spirit tonight. And we would all walk out of here better people and stronger people in our faith. Give me grace as I conclude it. Let me say what needs to be said. In Jesus' name, you shout amen. amen. All right, let's jump into it. Uh, I tried to be fair. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty interesting chapter because it just, it, man, it really just opens up a world of questions. And there'd be no way I could answer all the questions tonight. But let's just start reading uh, on the screen 22 verse 1. And an angel showed me the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of Main Street and on each side of the river. And, and what I want to focus on tonight, as I prayed about it, is I want to focus on the tree of life. I think it's very meaningful to us today. And I think it really does well to sum up the entire 22 chapters of Revelation. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Does this, does this make you scratch your head at all? Does this make you scratch your head that there's more than one tree of life? It wasn't just one that was in the 
Garden of Eden, but according to this, there's a tree of life on either side. And then the weird thing about it is, even though we've learned there's really no sun needed because the glory of the Lord is there, what we do know is that God still is somehow measuring time even in eternity because the tree of life will bear a fresh crop. Uh, One version of the Bible says a different crop every month. Meaning every month there's a different layer of fruit which is put out of the tree of life which assumes that every month we are eating of a new source of God's nature. And that was the intent of this thing called the tree of life because as we get into it, what we find out is that the tree of life is receiving its nourishment from the river of life. And the river of life is connected to the throne of God. So whatever we teach tonight about the tree, we cannot teach it outside of that it's source of whatever it is. Some may call it magic, depending on what their, what their religion is. But whatever it would be that is the source that creates what one version will say is medicine to heal people what we will find out, it also has such power behind it that this tree is the source of eternal life. But we can't worship the tree. That's what they did in the Old Testament. They, They would see things and then they would create an idol and worship a tree. One reasoning that Jesus was nailed to a tree... And it was considered a curse to be nailed to the tree is that God gave a beautiful object lesson that the tree you could not worship would hold the life that would come from it so even salvation is in a tree of life. Jesus, life, nailed to a tree. So that God stayed with his original intent that all of life would come from the tree of life. If Adam ate it, he would live forever. This this assumes that in eternity, this is not a new thought to God. It's still happening. I believe, and I'll teach you tonight why, I believe even me and you will be required to eat of the tree of life so that we can keep living forever. Because it's connected to the throne of God, and it's that throne that filters down to our natural bodies the life that we would need or the glorified body, the life that we would need to continue to live on that would make us glorified. And that the eating, which is a weird thought, the eating is connected to something that you have to do to keep life going. It's why fasting is such a critical thing in the Christian's life because Uh, I think, I I don't have time to teach on fasting, but fasting doesn't mean cutting out TV. Or I think I'm going to fast uh, milkshakes. Or I'm going to fast uh, going to the gym. Fasting means to cover the mouth so that nothing life-giving can enter into you to keep you alive. So the moment you proclaim a fast, I am fasting, meaning... There will be no sustenance of life come into my body, meaning if I don't eat, I die. 
Because there are some people who go, I'm just fasting TV, I'm fasting social media. You can do that the rest of your life and be no closer to death. But if you fast genuinely food, within about 50 days, you'll pretty much be right on death's door. Here's the weird thing. If you fast 30 days, right, that's one month of the crop. Jesus fasted 40 which tells us something really interesting that in his 40-day fast, he went past the one month of crop that would bring him life because he teaches us something. My food comes from where? Comes from God. My food is the word. And he would even tell that to his disciples. I have food you know not of. Well, what that food he's referring to is this tree of life that flows out of the throne of God. So when he says the word of God, everything Jesus connects back to life, he connects back to the throne of God, his father. So we find as we enter into eternity, it will be very much a strange thing that I believe we will all be eating fruit every month of a different kind. And that fruit, every time we eat it, will display a different character of God, God's nature, That as I eat it, it continually, I don't want to say regenerates because that would assume I would be dying and death is done. But it continually allows my body to keep experiencing God, so to speak. Because I'm in a realm of I get to live forever by eating this. Now what we will assume by God as we dig it out is God intended this to be the way we would live forever. We have to go back to this thought that the tree of life is how God intended a human to be able to live forever. Even though we say things like this, well, God made Adam to live forever, and then Adam sinned, and then Adam died. Right? That's the Gospel 101. I don't believe God made Adam live forever. He gave Adam the opportunity to live forever. And the way he could live forever is to eat the tree. Now, the moment Adam sinned, what did God do? God took away the right to what? God took away the right to the tree of life because God says, lest he eat it now and he still stays alive. So what God had to do is remove the tree of life from his ability to grab it. Why? Because even in a sinful state, if he gets to eat it, then sin cannot work its course because Adam can never die. And if Adam can't die, he will never understand the power of sin. We have often have taught the reason Adam couldn't eat it is God didn't want Adam living forever in sin. Well, forever in sin is not a big deal to God. What God didn't need was Adam not knowing what death is. Because it's death that defines the power of sin. Where, oh, sin, sting is your, the, the sting of sin is death. Right? I think I got that right. The, the sting of sin is death. The strength of sin is the law, and the, and the sting of that is death. So that God had to remove the tree because if Adam kept eating it, he would never know what to die meant. So God puts an angel in front of it and cuts it off and leaves it cut off. And as far as we know, in the flood, it was annihilated and it's 
no longer even on this planet for us to reach out and partake of it at all. But it doesn't mean that the, the, the intention of God changed even though the tree is no longer here because now here it shows up. Except not one tree, it seemingly shows up that it's on either side of the river of life coming from the throne. Which now becomes a, a very interesting piece of theology for us that this tree of life that was cut off and this tree of life that was no longer available for Adam to eat brings us to try to figure out, well, then what does it mean for you and I now and where does Jesus play in all of this if the tree of life is really what God's going for? Next verse, 3 through 5. No longer will there be a curse upon anything for the throne of God. There it is again. We can't get away from this. And the lamb, we can't get away from that. So anytime we talk about the throne of God, it is impossible to remove the Lamb of God from it. They're going to go hand in hand. So here's the object lesson we have. We have the throne and the Lamb. We have the river coming out of the throne. We have the river feeding the trees. And we have the trees providing healing and life to humans. And it does it in 12 sessions of fruit which you want to know how powerful that is, how many sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were there? Twelve, how many tribes? Twelve tribes, which re represented the Old Testament law, and twelve apostles, which represented the New Testament new season. Those twelve apostles and twelve uh, tribes find themselves in the city's foundation, and out of the twelve of those come a fruit that yields twelve and on either side of the river. For those of you who want to study, I believe the reason there's two trees on either side of the river is one side of the tree was the intent of what the law could do is it could only bring you death, but if you did it perfectly, you could live forever. There's life. And then on the other side of the tree is, represents the New Testament. So God gives both justice and both grace together in two trees to let us know that life had to come through justice and grace. And that's why they have 12, 12 representing the Old Testament, which was a God of justice. But here's the weird thing about that. Paul will teach us, if we can keep the law perfectly, what gets to happen? You get to live forever. If you can do it perfectly. But then he goes on to say, but nobody can. So the tree of life over here, if you could do it perfectly, you get life, but you can't. Over here, you get grace but I want you to know that I'm a God of justice and grace. But justice and grace all have to flow from the throne of God. And to understand justice and grace at the throne of God, you cannot define justice and grace to the God without the Lamb. The Lamb is the only way to justify how to explain a tree and a tree, a justice and a grace to a God that's bringing life to all of us, it has to pass through the Lamb. So in this one thought, all of the gospel, all 66 books of the Bible are being wrapped up to begin to explain what is going on. There'll be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them. Here's the thought. We're going to touch on this and then dive in more into the tree of life. Everything about the original creation, because this is going to help us understand the tree of life, all right? 
Everything about the original creation was in, an intentional design for God's plan of redemption that will be on full display throughout all eternity. In other words, nothing of the seven days of creation was wasted. It was intentional. And the intentional thing was God knew all along that Adam would sin. And that bears, we'll talk about in the book of Genesis when we teach it, but it bears the question if God knew why Adam would sin, why did he create him anyway? Because you're thinking like a human, that's why. You have to think like God. Why would God create a man to sin to create all this havoc? Because God was working a plan beyond Adam's sin that was a plan he had designed all along before Adam ever even got here. And he designed the plan in the book of Ephesians this way. Even before God made the world, which is weird, <laughs> he loved us. Just let that soak a minute. That's way over our human logic. Before you ever were, and before there was ever a planet you were living on, and before Daddy Adam ever got here, he loved you. And, watch, chose us how? He already made a way to choose you before you got here to blow it. So when you say, well, why would God create us if we were going to blow it? Because he chose you anyway, knowing you would blow it. But he didn't choose you because you're good looking or you have a lot of potential or you have such purpose. He chose you in himself, in Christ. He saw the purpose in Christ. And he chooses you to be holy and without fault, which is weird. We were going to, the first human on the planet would be unholy and have a lot of fault. God decided in advance, meaning he doesn't need your opinion, to adopt us in his own family by bringing us to himself through who? So even before you got here, even before you blew it, even before you did anything good, God said, I already knew you blew it, I already chose you, I've already adopted you, welcome to my family, I'm going to do it through me, not you, chill out, but i got to work a plan. I've got to get you here. Now... Here's the thing. Look at this. This is what he wanted to do. And who did it give great pleasure to? Him. Which is strange. He had great pleasure of his own plan before you ever got here. He's up in heaven going, dude, this is an incredible plan. They're going to reject me, spit on me, kill me, mock me. They're going to make other gods besides me. They're never going to come to me. They're never going to worship me. They're going to do everything backwards that I want them to do. Doesn't this excite y'all? I mean, that's what he's thinking. This is, oh, this makes me giddy. Makes me giddy they're going to beat me beyond recognition. It makes me giddy that they're going to run from me when I love them. So it makes me giddy that I'm going to adopt the kids that don't want to be adopted. And I'm going to love the kids that don't want to be loved. And, oh, I can't wait to do it. Well, how are you going to do it? Well... I mean, it brings me good pleasure, but I kind of want it to, I sort of want it to bring them good pleasure too, because that is the real art of love, is to be loved back, right? Come on, ladies, at least, right? I want to be loved back. I want somebody to re reciprocate. So what I'm going to do is make some humans, but they're really not going to appreciate what I do. Because the only way they're going to appreciate what I do 
and the pleasure that I have to adopt them and to own them and to love them is they've got to know what it means to be rejected. And if they want to know how loving I am, then I've got to give them the ability to hate me and the ability to run from me. But I'm going to have such trust of myself in my own faithfulness that I'm going to woo them back with my kindness. Because once you realize his kindness, you repent. Right? That's what Romans said. John 1. God does it. God makes Adam. Adam blows it. But a weird thing happens when Jesus comes on the scene because this is what he says. He came into the world, but the world didn't even recognize him. There's the rejection. The God that said, I did it all for my pleasure. I did it to adopt you. I did it to call you my own. I did it before you ever got here. But when you did get here, you rejected me. You didn't recognize me. But if you would just accept me, I would give you the right to become a kid. My child... And then this is where it really gets interesting because we're moving again toward this thing called the tree of life, this revelation. God sent a man named John the Baptist to do what? To tell about the light so that everyone might believe. This is the true light that gives light to every man. And now we realize that even in creation, God made it in such a way that you could know him. Because how do we get you to know he's light if you don't know what dark is? How can I say to you God is light if you don't know darkness? How can I say to you God is love if you don't know hate? How can I say to you he's grace if you don't know judgment? How can I explain something that's totally outside of your level to understand? How could I explain a human, explain the extravagant agape love of God? I cannot do it. Uh, the only way I can explain the extravagant love of God is to do it from a fallen nature. Because everybody in here understands pain. Everybody in here understands hate. Everybody in here understands rejection. Everybody understands sickness. Everybody understands darkness. Everybody understands fear. Everybody understands torment. We understand all that now. Now with that understanding of base, abject misery... I can, as a human, define God. So God, when he's setting all of this stuff up for us, in the failures of man that we say, why would God do that to let us fail? Because it's in our failures where we're going to be able to understand even how to even think of what he could be to us. Does that make sense? So that I can, I, I explain God now through which is weird, but the way we explain God is with the opposites of the things we all know to be so real. God is love. What does that mean? Well, we all know what hate is. God is kind because we know what a jerk is. God is a healer. Well, we all know what sickness is. So in a weird way, God uses the failures of us to be able to really define the extravagant love of Him because otherwise, how would we know uh, example, Olivia has my, our new grandbaby, right? Johnny Love. Well, Johnny Love is an inquisitive child. I can't wait till she walks because they'll need a leash because this kid will go everywhere to find anything. 
She's looking all over, very inquisitive all the time, so they gave her a straw. So what any baby does, from whatever they see to the mouth, right? So she's, a, she's just all over this little straw. And about that time, takes her straw out and pokes herself in the head. And this is what I get. Oh, you better be careful not to poke herself in the eye. I love what the mother says. The mother didn't take the straw from Johnny and say, yes, I need to be careful. She will poke herself in the eye. This is exactly what Olivia said. She said, well, if she does, she'll learn not to do it again. <laughs> How many of you know you learn great lessons? If that hurt, I don't need to do it again. It's one thing to go, don't stick the bobby pin in the light socket. But once you do, you'll never do it again. I was wallpapering for my wife one time, and I was wallpapering the bathroom, and it was old-school wallpaper, so it was wet, and I was gluing it, and I had it just beautiful, and I got out my razor knife, and I was cutting down the thing, and I went right into a light socket. My hands were wet, my feet were barefooted, the floor was wet, and it, pow, it went up my arm, through my body, and blew out my nose. <laughs> I grabbed my nose, uh, and the only thing I thought is, this is my first thought, oh my God, my nose blew off. Like that's what I literally thought happens 110, but it felt like my nose blew off. I grabbed, I was just like shocked. Like, what happened? It happened so fast. My nose is throbbing. I'm looking for blood. There's no blood. How many of you know Mark Evans? Never. never I don't wallpaper anymore. <laughs> How many of you know I learned a lesson? If this is the wall socket, I'm about right here like this. I'm cutting these big squares out. Well... God, in a way, wanted you to know his mercy because for him to say, I love you and you not know what hate is and rejection is and pain is, it became difficult. So when Jesus shows on the scene, and this is where I'm going with this, what's the first way John defines him as light? John 1 connects me back to Genesis 1 that the first thing God did in creation was let there be what? We know that's not sunshine. Sunshine doesn't come to day four, so he's not talking about daytime light. God inserted himself into the equation of creation, and God is light. And the darkness dispelled. But watch, if we read it, and we will when we study it. God said, I called the light day, and I called the darkness night. God didn't eliminate darkness. God kept the darkness there because the only way you know it's daytime is there has to be nighttime. The only way we know His holiness is there has to be something unholy. The only way we know His love is there has to be something hateful. And so God inserts this system of His character that God separates it so He can be known. And so John connects it back and says, well, I'll tell you about the true light. Well, the moment he says light, and in him there's no darkness at all, and the light came into the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it, he has this beautiful object lesson because all humans understand light and darkness. We, we get it. We, we call it night and day, I guess. I, and so God is building from day one of creation. God's building this thing, and I love this because... Verse 9, because he wants to give it to everybody. Hence the tree of life that's going to show up in a minute. So let's do this. I just want to run through, we'll, we'll teach on this in depth. But I just want to, 
to give it to you so you understand why the tree of life, because God obviously made it. He created the tree of life. So in the tree of life, if I can say it this way, inside the tree of life, it contains all of the DNA of God. That, That piece of fruit that Adam is going to eat, which is strange, that the first sin of the Bible was eating. We'll talk about that in the book of Genesis. Day one, here's what he did. I'm just going to run through all seven and make a few comments to maybe whet your appetite. Day one, what did he do? Remember, everything he's doing is for Jesus. Everything he's doing is to display Jesus. Everything he's doing is for the redemption Jesus will bring because everything he wants to do is to bring a family to himself. So he's trying to bring a family. So day one was light and darkness. And that becomes a definitive mark as we go through the rest of the Gospels and the chapters of the Bible. Light and darkness become pretty much the antagonist and the protagonist for the rest of every Gospel story. Down to Adam and Eve, down to Cain and Abel, and ergo the rest of the Bible. It becomes a very clear definitive mark of God. Day two is a separation of water and sky. In day one, Jesus will be called the light of the world. Jesus came to dispel darkness. In day two, there was a separation of waters. This is why Jesus will be born of water, born of heaven, and born of earth. He'll be born of water. This is why he will be baptized in the river Jordan. And this is why uh, the angel will come, uh, the angel, the rainbow will be seen in the sky as a separation between God and man. And the rainbow will be used for a covenant. So even in day two, God was preparing the waters of baptism and judgment, and God's preparing the sky for the covenant promise. He's thinking ahead already. Day three, seed-bearing plants because God is putting into the system of his government that everything bears after its own kind. You never can bear after your own kind. So once he creates the kind of Adam and Eve and they sin, they will always bear after their own kind. Day four, sun, moon, and stars, seasons and times. We see that the season and times are still in the eternal realm, so they must be important to God. The seed-bearing plant is still in the... eternal realm because the tree is there the water of life is there that comes from the throne which is the light of God it's there day five of the original creation he created fish and birds these are all the things that will be used on planet earth for God's redemption he will use the fish for a miracle in the Old Testament, in the New Testament to prove he's the son of God he will use the fish to promote the gospel to Nineveh because he needs the help of a fish He will use a bird to feed Elijah. He will use a bird to confirm to Noah that it's dry. He will use a bird to signify that Jesus is the son of the living God at his baptism. So on day five, God creates the animals of fish and birds that he will use to help promote his gospel. Those, and I'll just let you think about this, the fish are in the water. Because in everything God will judge, there's always instruments of his judgment that he will use, such as Pharaoh, such as Nebuchadnezzar. And then there's birds in the sky, which the sky represents his covenant, and there will always be people that he will use to display his covenant, Moses, Joshua. So God, in his kingdom thing, will always use 
those of judgment to promote his kingdom, the Pharaohs and all, the Herods, and then the birds, those in the covenant sky, the prophets, the apostles, the evangelists. So he's always moving his kingdom forward. Day six, he creates animals and humans. I think it's interesting on this day that he creates, on the same day he creates humans because he's forethinking, because he's God, because this is day six really wasn't what he was going for. He's going for Jesus to have a family. On the same day he creates Adam, if this doesn't blow your mind, he created the very animals that are going to be used for the sacrifice for Adam's sin. So we think, yay, he made the dogs and the Labradors and the elephants and the giraffes. And I'm like, yeah, but he also made all the calves and the lambs and all the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of animals that are going to die as a sacrifice. So on the day he created human, before he ever sinned, he already made the redemptive possibility of his sin to be taken care of because when he does sin, God kills one of the animals he made to make a clothing out of him. So God's already thinking ahead. He's not going to be blown away. And then the ultimate origin of creation is rest. Now the reason I said these origins of creation is because the intent of all this was to bring us to Revelation 22. The intent of everything God has done, if we move forward, the thought becomes this now. Because in that creation, in Genesis chapter 2, we, we find showing up a garden and a tree. And the tree of life has an eternal purpose. The tree, once temporal in the garden, is the tree now eternal in the heavenly city. So what we cannot negate is that in the original creation we just went through that God established in a garden, He established a tree that would contain within it the source of life for these humans. If we have time to read it, well, let's do. I think I put the scripture out there. Genesis 3, after they sin. Uh, Let me go back and I'll... I'll I'll give you the thought and then the scripture. If you remember how the tree went, it it went like this. There was a land called Eden. And God planted a garden in Eden. So it's it's called the Garden of Eden. Meaning the garden isn't all of Eden. The garden is inside Eden. It would be like your backyard and then your garden. So there's Eden. And then there's these three rivers that flow. And then there's Eden the garden. And then in the garden, there's Adam and Eve and two trees and other trees and animals all out in the field in the garden. And God puts them in a garden. But the Bible says that a river from Eden flowed into the garden to water the garden. Why would a river flow into the garden of Eden? Because God is teaching us that life comes from the Creator. And the water flowed into the garden and the tree of life drank from the water that flowed from Eden that God created. And if Adam will eat this tree, he will live forever. Now we naturally assume this. All right, I'm not opposed to it. It's just the natural thought. We assume that Adam never ate the tree of life. He was dumb. God said, here's a tree of life. If you eat it, you live forever. And he's like, yeah, no, peace out, dude. Not eating that tree. I'm going to eat every other tree but the tree, the tree of life. Don't want to touch it. But I do want, once a wife gets here, I do want the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We assume 
that he never ate it. Because the way we assume is if he bites the tree of life once, he lives forever. But what we find from Scripture is that the tree of life was how he could live forever and that he would need to continually eat it to keep living forever because God's source was a continual feeding of his life that would come. Because Adam was not God, he was in the image of God, but his life came from God, and so a continual eating of the tree kept him connected to the very life of God so he could live forever with God. Because God, my opinion, God wanted Adam consistently eating and nourishing himself to teach himself that the way I live forever is I feed off of the life of God. That's how I live forever. So here's what we assume. Adam was eating of the tree of life. He's fellowshipping with God. He's eating the fruits that are manifesting every month. And then all of a sudden he decides one day, I'm going to eat this fruit. And he goes over there with his wife and they eat. And when they eat, it says, and he recognized he was naked. And in the day he eats thereof, you die, right? That's what, that's what it says, right? The day you eat, you die. Well, we know he didn't physically die. He lived 930 years more. Here's the interesting thing. The day you eat, you die. Here's what we say. Well, he spiritually died because we're smart people. We have the Gospels now, right? So we go, well, he spiritually died. He didn't physically die. He died spiritually. I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem. But the way we need to think about it is the day he eats of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the day you eat, you're dead. Why am I dead on the day I eat? Because I'm not going to allow you to touch the tree of life again. And the moment I cut you off from the tree of life, you're dead. You'll have, watch now, you will have so much of my life in you that you will continue to live about 930 years. But you'll know what death is. You will taste it. And the further your DNA gets away from my life, you human beings that don't appreciate me will do well to scratch out 100 years. And if you make it to 100, you'll consider yourself thankful. You arrived at a hundred. You'll get your name on a jar of jelly. <laughs> but the reality of this is what happened is they died because they had no right to the tree of life. And the tree of life was off limits forevermore. It means nothing to me and you. We're not Jews. It means nothing to me and you. We're so far removed from the Garden of Eden. It's just a, it's just a vacation Bible school story. But it means everything to God because it shows back up in the eternal world. And he says you still have to eat of it. It's going to heal you. And when you eat of it, it's going to bring you life. But none of you can eat of it because you're unworthy. So what I'm going to do is do what I intended to do is I'm going to take myself and nail myself on a cursed tree to do what? To give you the right to the tree again. I'm going to give you the right to eat of the tree of life. So when we say Jesus gives us eternal life, what Jesus gives me by his death and resurrection is the right 
to reach out to this thing and do what Adam lost the power to do that Jesus gave back to me and now I have the right to eat and live forever in the presence of God because Jesus gave it to me. Now, I'm not opposed to the other, which is we all just kind of float around in these ethereal, eternal bodies that are just beams of light. But it makes me wonder, then, why is the tree here then? Why do we need to eat of it? And then we would say something like this. Well, it's not going to be the church that eats of it. We have Jesus now, so we'll never eat of it. And that's kind of what threw me for a loop. Let me give you the... Seven things of the tree of life, and then I'm going to end to try to answer that question. Who eats it? Will we, especially if we believe in Jesus, will we need to eat it? Here's what we know about the tree. It was planted by God before there was any sins or anything. It's pre-thought. Number two, it was watered by God. This is in the Garden of Eden. Number three... It was meant to be eaten. Number four, it bore 12 fruits, one for each month. For those of you that love discipleship, this proves to us that God intends us to feast with Him on a continual basis. It's ongoing. It's seasonal. And not seasonal as in I go Christmas and Easter. It's seasonal, watch, For those of you that are older, I'm sure you'll say amen. It's seasonal because the closer and the more you eat of God, you realize different aspects of His nature through seasons of life. Come on, don't you, those of you that are older, have a different taste of His character now that you've been seasoned. You went through a hard thing and you ate of the fruit of His character. Like, oh man, I see something in Him I've never seen before. Well, this is what I believe these fruits do. We will forever be eating of it because it will continually unveil different aspects of his nature as we eat of it. Uh, Number five, it was the source for eternal life. I said the source meaning we had to eat it because it was connected to the river that's connected to the lamb that's connected to the throne. Not Not that the tree of life in itself is God, but it's how God would get the, the uh, benefit to us. It was banned from humans. Well, if it's banned from humans and we stop there, we're hopeless. The best we got is take an Advil and hope you make it to 80. Hope you get Medicare. That's about the best we're going to do as a human. But, come on somebody for the but. (laughs) Number seven, which is a sign of rest. Who shows up at number seven? Jesus. (laughs) And what does he do? He gives me the right to eat of the tree again. In other words, it was never God's intention to quit this tree. It was his intention to get us back to it. And he took us on a beautiful journey. He took us on a journey of self-discovery through the Old Testament of giving us all the ways to try to earn it, but we can't earn it. All the ways to try to feel like God owes us, but He really doesn't owe us anything. He gave us a great object lesson of of 39 books of the Old Testament to show us how wicked we are and how deceived we are. And that He would be using different aspects of life to draw us to Himself and push us to Himself because He wants us to know Him. He wants us to fellowship, but we refuse to do that. 
And so he comes down of himself in the New Testament. He says, I just want to know you. I want you to know me. But it says they rejected him. They turned their back on him. They didn't want to receive him. So they impaled him on a tree. They took the tree of life that was God's original intent and they nailed, the, they nailed life onto a tree and now the tree of life is displayed for us in what we call Calvary. You would think that would be the end of the story. Like we don't need a tree of life if we've got Jesus. If you have Jesus, that's all we need. But you have to understand what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come to be all we need. Jesus came to take us out of the need we have and present the opportunity again. The opportunity that the first Adam lost, the second Adam will give back. So what the Son will do in the gospel is that the Son will go before the Father and He will give the blood of the sacrifice to the Father. He will lay it to the Father and when He does, He makes a way for us to eat again of the tree of life so humans can enjoy the Father forever. And we can participate in His glory. Revelation 2.7 Anyone, this is Jesus to the church. So I'll let you deduce what you want to believe. I'll tell you what I think, but then you can pick it. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He's saying to the churches. To everyone who's victorious, what will He do? I'll give you fruit from the tree of life. Well, wait, 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 wait. Why are you even going to give me the tree of life? I thought you were life. I thought all I needed was you. I thought all I needed was just to believe in you. And he's like, yeah, that is. You need me because me is going to give you the right to eat of it again. <laughs> That's why you need me. You need me because I am the tree of life. I died on a tree for you that gives you the right back to the tree of life if you remain victorious. So what I will say is I do believe we, the church, even though in glorified bodies, will still have to eat of the tree of life. It'll still be part of how eternal works in these weird bodies of ours. That's my thought. You don't have to believe that. And the angel showed me a river with the water of life. Here we back to Revelation 22. Flowing from the throne of God, there's the water coming from the throne and the Lamb, and it flew down, uh, flowed to the tree of life. And then again, we find what we said at the beginning is that this tree is still used for medicine to heal the nations. So all of those nations that are left over, so remember we have the church in the kingdom ruling. We have all the nations ruling. Now what we do know for certain whether the church will be required or not required, but at least offered the fruit to eat. And maybe we just eat it because it's the sustenance of God. Like it just, I don't even know if we'll eat chicken and all that because there won't be any dying. Maybe all we do is eat the tree of life. Maybe it's so nourishing that that's all we need. But what we do know without fail is that these, these people out here who were remember they... They were never really, quote, resurrected. They just kind of made it through the kingdom. They lived. They didn't go off with Lucifer when he was thrown in the lake of fire. They didn't rebel. They got their name in the Lamb's Book of Life. They believed in Jesus. Well, remember we said we had a problem with these people. How do they live forever? They'll be given the same access that the original Adam had. You want to live forever, just come eat it because it's going to heal you. 
It's going to keep you alive. There's something weird about the tree of life we just don't talk about a lot. It's just kind of thrown in an uh, Old Testament concept and really not talked about much for an eternal concept. Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are those who do His commandments that they may what? Have the right. Now so this really just kind of sums all of us up. The church, the nations... Anybody who does his commandments now has a right to the tree of life. Oh, and P.S., you can also come into my city. So it makes us realize that that heavenly Jerusalem we talked about is going to be the location of the tree, but you just don't get in for free. You have to have washed your robes in the righteousness of the Lamb and do his commandments. And then I'll give you the right to eat of that tree. So here's what I've deduced. I've deduced that God is in the city with his people. The nations are in the earth. The nations come to the city to eat of the tree of life. To Now we would say healing, but there's no more curse. There's no more death. There's no. So when we talk about the healing, we can't look at it as healing because I've got cancer or healing because I might die. Maybe the way God thinks about healing is different because the way we think about healing is only from a perspective of sickness. We go back to our original thought, right? How do we know healing? You get sick. How do you know what health is? Get cancer, you'll know. But if there's no curse and there's no sickness and there's no death... Why would we need the word healing? Because healing is God. It just won't be defined like we define it now. Well, why would they need to be healed if they're not sick? Because you only understand healing from a human perspective of sickness. God had to do that just so you would know what healing is. But if I remove sickness, does that remove healing? He's still the healer. If I remove all the curse, is he still the life giver? If I remove all death, is he still life? So if I remove all sickness, he's still the healer. So that tells me when they eat for the healing, it's not so they don't get sick. It's so that they possess everything that God is in his fullness. Which is, there's no way to define that. You can't. The only way we could define it is talk about sickness and darkness and curses. And, but when we're in a realm, which is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, then I will be known as I fully know. Now I only understand in part. Can you imagine what this day is going to be like when you walk down a street of gold and the river of life is flowing from the throne and the Lamb and you walk up to this tree, God only knows what it's going to look like. And you reach your hand out and you go, and there's no disease in you. There's no sickness in you. There's no torment. There's no fear. There's no death. And you look at that thing, but because your infinite mind is now opened, you realize that it contains the very source of eternal life. And when you bite it, it just goes through you as the power and the glory of God. Not to make you into something you're not, but to make you understand what you really are, if that makes sense. All right? Revelation twenty-two nineteen. 19. 
And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life. It seems like God's still pretty uh, picky about his tree and pretty picky about his city. But I do want to end with, uh, it's there. I hope I at least stretched your brain to see it being there and that it serves an eternal purpose. Here's the thought of the night. Jesus purchased our right to eat from the tree of life flowing from the deity of God. In order for all humans to have the ability to worship God, in complete healing, absent of any curse, and forever. This is the meaning of eternal rest. Eternal rest is not you on a cloud playing a harp, running with dogs and labs out in a field with grandmama. Eternal rest is you're eating from the tree of life, which flows from the deity of God, so that you may worship God we would say in the fullness of power, which is completed healing, absent of any curse, and forever. And that would be the book of Revelation. Ending in eternal rest. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Give God a hand. He's worthy. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message. 